Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ready for this? Yeah, I'm doing a meditation, a desired reality meditation. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Please join us. We're holding our hands in the air for this moment of reflection at the beginning of the podcast. We are aiming to enter our own desired realities, Hannah. <laughs> what reality do you desire? At My this desired moment? reality is to Game go Thrones ASMR. To <laughs> My desired reality is um, a song of ice and fire without any drama. Oh, man. So you're torment in this chapter then? There's no drama for torment in this chapter? It felt like there was he a lot. He gave his son away. And he didn't, he wasn't upset about it, or at least not openly upset about it. Right. Not to John's knowledge. Right. Nobody was upset about anything. What did he say about these are uh, winter folk or something? <laughs> Maybe like 12 times he said that in this chapter. That was pretty much his whole point, no. I think. <laughs> okay. He makes some specific comment at some point as the the boys are coming through. When he was talking about the savage people from the frozen shore? No? No, it was when the, the boys are coming through and he notes how none of them cry basically mm -hmm. and how a lot of them aren't some of them are with their moms or their siblings but a lot of them are by themselves and he's kind of just reflecting on that as they come through including the two girls and he just thinks about and I'm stalling as I'm scrolling through this thing to see exactly what the line is because as you pointed out I guess he did say the lot say that a lot but um yeah that was like the the common refrain yeah. I'm going bookless for this podcast, everyone. This is off to a rough start. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about it? John 12, The Dance of Dragons. Um, the chapter I thought was really beautifully written. This was a really good chapter. It was um, mostly just what I felt like a roll call of the wildlings as they come through. We kind of get Tormund's commentary mm -hmm. as the whole thing comes together. And it's definitely... The weight of this occasion is very present throughout every interaction. And in the sky. In the sky, in John's thoughts, and kind of the procession of everything. And so I thought it was really cool because I felt like this was very much a chapter ushering in a new era mm -hmm. for um, the wall and for John. And so, you know, not a lot of... It was good. I, I really liked it. I felt like this could have been the last chapter in the book. Or at the very oh, least, John's yeah. last chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the way that, not only with the the big finish of Cotter Pike's letter and John's <laughs> quote at the end, Now My yeah. War Begins, yeah. but also just the overall spirit of it, of the wildlings crossing. Well, because it's kind of a culmination of this whole book and this whole fight that John, I mean. Books. It's not really the culmination because I think John's death is kind of like the final right. nail That's in the, the better one. That's like George R. R. Martin going, oh yeah? Yeah. But By the way, think, I have a new fantasy novel idea. You think that this is it. I mean, John doesn't think that this is it. He thinks this is the beginning and he says that near the end. Um, but you think that this is kind of. Everything has happened. They're through the wall. They got through the wall without any sort of scuffle, which they were kind of worried about in the bit. beginning, for the most part. Yeah. Everything was kind of uh, didn't very minor. Sure, but, you know, right. minor right. details. The punishment was you have to go to the back of the line, start over yeah. again. We've got too far into this. <laughs> People got impatient a little bit. Um, but, I mean, all in all, a success. And so there's like this eerie 
sort of calm as we come near the end of the chapter and John's kind of looking around. He's seeing so cool. lights in places that he's never seen oh, lights before. Yeah. And he's hearing voices echoing through what once was this like silent, cold place. It feels like there's almost a little bit of warmth. There's like guys are having snowball fights. Yeah, as he said, adults playing snowball or snowball fighting like we did when we were kids in Winterfell. Exactly. So yeah. it's like this very eerie, calm. And a totally different vibe for Castle Black. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Completely. And you figure with the way that everyone's so afraid of these people that it would be time for a nightmarish bloodshed in some way or that things would have gone a lot worse. But well, instead they're playing snow. Right, exactly. I mean, what is playing snow? That's not that can't be a thing. <laughs> Snowball fight. But he says that they're playing. The next chapter though is the end. Then the next John chapter is the last John chapter. So we're very close to that. But yeah, I just kind of liked that we feel like we've one for a little while. I mean, except for the letter from Cotter Pike at the end. Right. But everything seems to go pretty smoothly. And um, I didn't feel like I won when how, I was reading it. What did you feel? Man, I felt like this was, for me, a a new look at John. Okay. I feel like I understand a lot more what Egret was saying all along about John not knowing anything. I never really, really understood it. I always sort of attributed it to just kind of like the perils of youth or like the kind of chemistry that'd be between a girl that likes a guy. And just like some teasing kind, right. of, kind of thing. But also just confusion about them having a, a not-so-conventional rocky relationship that's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. And also just like you said, teasing, just like normal chiding at him. But seeing him not around the the guys at Castle Black, not surrounded by his, his friends either. It made me feel like through the through the lens of people that are less comfortable and have gone through just a life less comfortable is putting it mildly, I think. Just a, a life, a totally different life. One that we don't understand and one that we characterize and mysterious ways that we're seeing so much more of now, which was my favorite part of this chapter. All of the context. Yeah. Seemingly end, endless. Right. It was fun right. to read, but it was like, at, at one point I found myself thinking, even after I took a note of how much I enjoyed it, I was just like, okay, I get it. Right. I totally understand. But then it sort of redeemed itself after a little bit of repetitiveness toward the end when I, I got to meet the other warg. Because I was like, oh, shit. This, this is, I went back and read it, not just because my book had a typo. The typo wasn't <laughs> that, Something was misspelled. Uh, Borak was the person who spoke to Borak. It was oh, like really? it was like brother Borak said, and I'm like, wait a second, Interesting. this is confusing. He spoke to himself, but I'm glad I read it a few times. For me, seeing them or seeing John through the lens of these people who've led such particular lives and still are so grateful for being alive, not only grateful for getting passage through the wall in such a smooth way, but just so comfortable with themselves. There was mm-hmm. only, I think, one contingent of the free folk that Tormund said something negative about. Mm -hmm. And I could sort of see them from a mile away. At first I was confused, but then I sort of understood there were the folks from the frozen shore with the, uh, the walrus garb or the the antler names. Yeah. The, or the antler on their head. Yeah. And, uh, I thought those people probably had access to way more trade than the rest of them and had some seemingly normal existence or normal ish, more normal than the rest of people than that live North of the wall probably more like people that live in Westeros and end up being kind of shitty people in the end. Why they would have squabbling amongst themselves probably had a lot more to lose than the rest of them. Right. So John being not just beside Tormund, who had a really good nature this whole, uh, I was going to say episode, this whole chapter, but um, 
seeing meeting people over and over that are dealing with what we know they're dealing with without even like touching on the fear that they have about the others. Just only briefly. Briefly, but even up until that point, just knowing what kind of people they were, seeing what kind of clothes they wore, seeing what they had to make do with, it made me see John in a more clear way than I had before. Because when he's surrounded by people like Dollar Said or Donald Noy, Alistair Thorne, I mean, he seems like a hero when he's around Thorne, for God's sakes. You know what I mean? Right, absolutely. seems like a great person or someone that's working against so much friction is doing the best that he can. But especially beside Tormund and everyone else. (sighs) Well, even he feels like you're just just shaking your head. (laughs) Just doing the wrong stuff. You think he's doing the wrong stuff? Yeah, I really do. Before we get to that, because I want you to dive into that, even Mm -hmm. he thinks... Uh, that he's the wrong guy for this job. I mean, he thinks about all the other men that would be much more qualified and better seasoned to be standing here or to have treated with torment in the first place. And yet it was him. And according to you, he's doing the wrong stuff. But at the heart of it, he's doing the right thing. He's doing something that no one in his position has yet had the courage to do. And albeit it's in the face of this, another long night coming, it seems. So maybe he doesn't deserve that much credit, but credit he still gets because he's mm-hmm. in this position to do it and he's made those decisions and he's going to suffer the consequences. Right. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, what is it that you see in him differently? Or like, what do you think about his decisions that he's making? Or like well, you're talking about him standing next to Tormund. I think it's in it's in a lot of the decisions in this chapter and also his overall vibe, but I don't think that he necessarily touches it himself. I don't know if he really understands it. I think that at first I was confused because I thought it was a normal uh, like a amount of self-doubt where he was that situation the chapter you were talking about when he was reflecting on people that should should be in the position instead of him. I thought it was normal self-doubt of a character in that position which is kind of tired at mm-hmm. this point. I've I've read it in countless books and it's fine. He's in that sort of reluctant role of the air quotes hero. It's it's okay, but you've been reading too much Harry Potter lately. <laughs> I think that uh, I think that he doesn't really understand it like I didn't understand it. And I, I wrote down a question to ask, why does he think he's so inexperienced? Or, or rather, what did, what did I write down? Um, is he really too inexperienced to treat with the free folk, or is he just afraid? Well, you think about him and Tormund talking about the others mm-hmm. and John's like well I've killed one mm-hmm. well, I know what I know what you're talking about I killed about. so many in my dreams yeah, too <laughs> exactly and Tormund's like you have no idea mm-hmm. and so I can kind of see what you're saying here in terms of his experience I mean he just he's seen a lot of things and he's been on the front lines of everything that's happening at Castle Black mm-hmm. at this point but he's not of Tormund Giants vein, right. you know what I mean? But right. he never will be. And so I don't necessarily think... But he think, can hang. Right. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that he can hang and he's got enough of these people coming through and maybe not pledging their lives to him, but some of them are swearing oaths and they're doing exactly as they're told. And as you're talking about, they're seemingly really grateful and none of the kids are crying, and they're getting rid of these really precious valuables that John knows are going to sell for lots of money. You know, 
he has, he may have these doubts and misgivings and feelings about himself, but he, I like what he said. He says, um, it was too late for such misgivings though. Every choice had its risks. Every choice, its consequences. He would play the game to its conclusion. And I like that he, you know, he continues to have those doubts in his mind because he's just like a human, but he's gonna, he's not gonna falter on the decision that he made and he's gonna stick it out and kind of try to be a strong leader in that situation. Yeah. Which I think is what separates somebody like John from somebody else is that he definitely his brothers for sure. Yeah. He's able to kind of stand stalwart facing something that will literally change the world around him. And that decision, and most importantly, what it led to, those people coming through the wall and leaving that danger, the the cold that you could attempt to actually cut through, is, is I think, what is important and why I was questioning his uh, questioning of himself earlier in the chapter. Mm-hmm. And what I was sort of not, not tired by, but, wow, that's such a cool thing because that's not where it ends. The next chapter is where it ends. And right. what we really see are the results of the other of the other stuff that I noticed in this chapter yeah. coming around to bite him in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I what I feel like I recognize so much more clear through the lens of the free folk, and especially like I said, being near nearby Tormund, is that he was in the position to make this decision and it was good and it is important that the free folk are coming through the wall in spite of all the people that are against his ideas and what he thinks what he thinks that they should do and what Westeros should prepare themselves for starting at the top, like an, like an egg yolk running down something like, here we go. The long night's coming and it sort of breaks with, we had our little fight at the wall. Now we're letting all these people in and it's just going to run down the rest of Westeros, Mm -hmm. maybe even to the rest of the world. And we're all going to have to start making decisions like this. Mm -hmm. But Still within it, I guess it's not enough. It's like, it's like how when the they were crossing, and it, like you said, the the vibe was good and everything was calm, and we were all making it through the tunnel unperturbed, pretty much, besides that one cart that got stuck. Right, right. But still, the road became muddy and hard to go through. It was like I know that this is a good thing, but it's still going to have some kind of a repercussion from the universe in of some way. Like it's going to be, it's going to be difficult. It's going to. It's going to offer some kind of resistance, even though it's good and it's all working out. And it may not be that crazy, but it is going to slow efforts at the end that they've already anticipated and prepared for. And that's why they were all able to make it through the wall at the end of the day, which is good. But it still did happen. And so John is in this position to do well, and he is doing well, I think. But something like the decision to ride the intimidating horse to surround himself by people that he wouldn't normally surround himself with. It's not like he was making these decisions from a cold heart, but he was making these decisions from, I mean, we can call it inexperience, and I think that might be it, but I think it's also just the perspective gained from being people like the free folk living beyond the wall. And it's not like you have to live beyond the wall to become a person like that, but I think that it's much like Bran and how he's developed far vast skills and skin changing, probably more than anyone having a lot to do with his injury, having a lot to do with the attention that Blood Raven's paying paying to him, being amplified, like different experiences, amplifying different abilities, different perspectives within you. John might have the the core to put himself in this position and we're seeing it, but if he would handle things like Tormund does, he could get 
all of the scary free folk, all of them, all that we have here, all the different kinds, through the wall with seemingly no issues. But he did because he's friends with Tormund. So he doesn't have to be a guy like him. He just has to make fr- he make allies. That's totally true. But he's also going to get stabbed to death in the next chapter. Sure. But um, sure. I think that those the way that he ultimately handles his vibe and passes down his orders, it's, it's something that you used to talk to me about in past episodes of if he just told them what he was thinking, right? If he just explained, then they would be less mad at him. It's like he's he's in he's in the the Lord Commander's chambers and he's being brought le- letters and he's not really communicating what's happening. And from his perspective, he's more so just doling out orders to them. And they're like, "What the fuck? Right? You were just Jon Snow and now you're Lord Commander, right? And we don't even see the conclusions that you're coming to. I know what that's like to have to work through your ideas and need to do it slowly." Not just so that you understand them, just so that other people around you can see where you're coming from. It seems tedious that he has to do it, but it helps. But I think more than that, just his vibe also. It would it would be really helpful if he was able to approach things in a more confident, lighthearted manner, like Tormund and the rest of the Free Folk do. And I called it them being grateful, and I think that that's kind of at the, the, the core of it, this like feeling of... Uh, feeling at peace with how your cards are being played in the universe and going with it whichever way you can. I think that if he would have been able to mix that in with the, maybe the idea to be more communicative would have come from that with his people. I'm not sure how Tormund's handling it, but it seemed like that's what the whole deal with Mance was with the rest of the Free Folk. And that's one of the reasons why that he was able to unite so many of them in an unprecedented way early on. I think that he could be doing the same stuff because it's going smoothly. And I'm sure at that point, they've probably already made up their mind what they're going to do to him. And that the letter that comes just in the next chapter probably seals it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I might be wrong about that. I'm not sure. But I think that if he would have instilled a some kind of a fellowship at this dark po- point in the world so far north from everyone else, and also just a little bit of lightheartedness and confidence and just made things a little bit less serious— because what they're doing is a crazy serious thing. We're all this foreboding that we were talking about, and you were you were saying that I, this feels like a, a change in in, in, he in says, the world. He says that it is. It is. He's like, I t- when the stars come back out tomorrow, it's going to be <laughs> that was so over dramatic. Di- I loved it. <laughs> I would say the same thing. It's going to be a different world. But you felt it when you were reading, right? You felt like yeah, it was a change the of way everything. To, well, abs- I mean, it absolutely is. But and how about Tormund just handling it, giving him something to drink? And, you know, telling telling him about everyone that's coming to the wall, but also just, you know, it, it just every, they were just glad to be there, you know? I think a good summation of what you're trying to say is this moment between Tormund and John at the very beginning. And um, he is right when they first meet each other, when John comes to the other side of the wall and Tormund sees him. And um, he says, he calls to John, he's like, guards, is it? Now where's the trust in that crow? And John goes, you brought more men than I did. <laughs> and Tormund goes, so I did. Come here by me, lad. I want my folk to see you. But it's kind of, I feel like this is kind of the same thing. That's exactly the summation of what you're talking about. Yeah. He just, sometimes he just can't hang. But that's, you know, that's John's problem all along. And so that's why we see. This. I didn't know that, though, is the thing. Reading these books, I didn't really pick up on it. Mm. It wasn't. It wasn't as clear to me until I saw him around people that, 
maybe it, maybe it's more clear in, in earlier chapters when he's north of the wall with them, but I feel like if the he would he had less power and it was it was less up to him. He was sort of reacting to situations. And we all thought he was brave for doing stuff. And it was difficult. And he didn't kill Grit. And he did kill Corrin, which seems like something he shouldn't do, but it was the right thing to do in that case. But now he's got all these people under his command and he's responsible for the safety of all these people. And like I can only imagine what that weight must feel like when you see kids coming through the wall. But he's making it work, you know? And I mean, we will have to see if and when John is resurrected, what that means. And I guess we're not really going to get to play out and watch what actually happens um, here at the wall from John's perspective because he probably is going to have his sights set on some other things. Yeah, He's not just going to be focused solely on being command Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. I, I doubt that. But um, he's making it work. Like, he doesn't have to be anything that he's not, even though he's deeply annoying sometimes and, like, kind of emo and just, like, a little... He can't hang quite as much as somebody... But who else could? Everyone's you know I mean? emo. Everyone's emo. And this. look at the impossible position that he's been put into, and he still made this really difficult decision, and he still is going to stick it out, knowing full well that it's going to cause problems. And so I think that we can cut him a little bit of slack because he has every right to kind of uh, view this occasion as momentous as it is, and he has every right to kind of be a little awkward and to kind of just be who he is next to somebody like Tormund, you know? Who has a lot more experience than him. Which yeah, was, he's a kid. And he was self-aware about all of that. And and, and so it, I definitely think it reduces a lot of the potential grief that you give John for being in this position and not doing all the stuff that I think would be cool if he did do it. But there's still repercussions because he's in that position. He, not only because he's in the world and there's repercussions, like he said, for these actions and he's going to play the game, but also just being in a position to be such a good thinker and to have that much power being Lord Commander of the Night's Watch when something like this is happening, there's going to be reverberations from not only the decisions that he makes, but as we can see with everything pretty much going well, and then he gets stabbed to death. I think that if he would have established a better character among the people that he was working with, that I think they would have been less likely to want to kill him. Of course. He's a hard guy to like. 1,000%. Yeah. So, But that's also one of those things that I feel like it's very easy to make that call in hindsight because, you know, when you're reading these books for the first time, at least for me, that never crossed my mind. That was something that could actually happen. Right. That John would ever be put in that position just because he's like the main character. I mean, look at the dream that he has at the beginning of this mm-hmm. uh, chapter. I right. mean, he's very obviously, <laughs> he's very obviously like one of the main characters in the story. And so I think it's very easy, though, with the information that we know now to kind of pick apart every interaction he has and be like, well, I wish you would have said this or that. Or I wish that you were you still had people around you that actually mm-hmm. cared about you or that you could confide in or that you could joke around with and be a little bit less cringy, you know, and just kind of be a real person. But, you know, I don't remember feeling that way reading this through the first time. I just kind of remember feeling like, he had to kind of take on this mantle and get this hard job done and then we can figure it out from there. I I think that's totally true. And like I said, I think it should reduce some of the grief that we give him for being in this position and it turning out that way, but it still turned out in a way. Yeah. You know? It'll be interesting to see kind of what happens when, and we'll talk about this (laughs) 
at length when we get to the next chapter. But kind of seeing the role that the wildlings are going to have and what what's to come and how this actually is going to play itself out because it's kind of your you kind of mentioned this at the beginning of the chapter but having kind of the color of the background of these people and this guy thinks this thing and this is this person's Mm -hmm. family story i mean these are very rich narratives and rich histories and lives obviously that are kind of starting over and uprooting coming to this other side and kind of seeing how that's going to as you're mentioning trickle out into the rest of the story into the rest rest of Westeros. I mean, we didn't really get to see that play out very much in the TV show, aside from Tormund being None. John's sidekick BFF, None. which is so funny. That's all I could think about reading this chapter is Tormund's kind of like reduced to this side character None. in the show. Where here, as you're saying, I mean, he's very much the guy in the situation. But it'll be interesting to actually see how this plays out, especially. When it comes to, I'm my thoughts are all over the place. But at the very end, as they're making their way in through the wall, they're starting to get stressed out, and not because they're sick of waiting in line. John notices it's because they don't want to be outside in the dark. They're mm-hmm. not. They don't want to be around any opportunity that they could be seen by these others. And so, I think having folks who deeply understand that threat Mm -hmm. these warriors these men these women being able to kind of spread that message is going to be only helpful for the cause of the wall yeah no that was that was sorely missing from the tv series throughout at a moment where i was when i was reading and i was thinking about that how um how this chapter really made it impossible to think of the free folk in any sort of cartoonish way Mm -hmm. ever and how, how how much of a shame it was that they were depicted so cartoonishly in the TV series, obviously. Well, and we, like, you look at somebody like Val, who's not even, we didn't even get her. Right. You know? Yeah, I had that same, kind of that same narrative running through my head. Especially when you look at, like, everything that happened with Tormund and Brienne. You know, I love, you love to see it. But, yeah, that cartoonishness, I think, is hard to not kind of laugh about that a little bit. I liked it. I I thought that there was a lot of texture and what you said about seeing them stream out into Westeros is something I haven't thought about yet. But that's going to be neat because they're honestly probably my favorite people. Now that I've learned so much about them, I know how how much they um how resilient they are mm-hmm. and how creative they've been able to be in such a limited space. Right. It's, it's like they're going to change Westeros for the better, I feel, if there's enough of them. The, right. There's not that many though. They can teach such a important lesson. Yeah, that was my question. This might be an easy answer that I just missed. But not all of them came to the other side of the wall. No, of course not, because we have all the people at Hard Home, for example. Right. So too. we got Hard Home and then whoever else is out there. I don't I what how many three thousand ish plus? There's so many. So if, how many people if the others haven't turned them all into infantry. Exactly. So it's like how many bodies are out there? You know, there's there's we don't so know many. about north of the wall's huge. Yeah. I know it's tough to live there, but look at the ingenuity of these people and you can kind of like mathematically trace back and imagine what it would be like. Mm-hmm. A lot, I'm sure. A lot. Yeah. And all spilling through. I, I don't know how it's going to be. I'm thinking about John post-stabbing. If he does come back, haha. <laughs> <laughs> if he does come back, I really hope that what we've been talking about becomes more of his character. And it's less of the sort of 
uh, without a lack of or without a better word to say, cartoonish mm-hmm. depiction some people really want, which is a sort of vengeful John. Yeah. I really hope that he's just like, oh shit. I need to rework this. And maybe he forgives the people that kill him. Right. Well, we we talked about we talked about that's an interesting thought. Um I, I mean, I don't know. We talked about this on our last episode that we posted, our little Halloween special that we did with Lady Gwen. We talked about kind of did we talk about this? Yeah, right? I don't know what you're talking about yet. <laughs> this is a one-sided conversation you're having right now. John coming back to life. Yeah, and John we talked about being, that a lot. Yeah, we did. <laughs> if you haven't listened, you should. We talked about kind of who he'll be and kind of what his motives will be and how that will change him as a person. and The method in which he was resurrected. Yeah. Yeah. What that will do for him. Um, and It's got to be warging, right? Yeah, so we were talking about this. Were we talking about this before the episode? I, I never know when the episode start. is starting. Yeah, a little behind the scenes. It's always a little bit of a, a well. Yeah, you, just, you press record and then it's like <laughs> hope for the best. Gotta check the sound and then where do we go from here? But we were talking about the skin changer that comes through, yeah. and the boar and ghost kind of have a little bit of a coming. To head of it's sorts. The, it's the same thing that happened between John and Borak. Yeah, it's you know, a little the same standoff. Thing. The two you know? animals were representative of their struggle as well. Right, and we don't really know much about this skin changer, and it's like this very what brief do we moment. Need to know? He's powerful yeah. like John, and they're like, mm, <laughs> you're coming to my territory, bud. It's this very brief moment, but he stands out as somebody. And so as we're talking about, we can't help but read this all in the context of John coming back to life. It's like, well, there's another, there's going to be a guy like that at the wall Mm -hmm. when that happens, what that means, if that means anything at all, it might not. I wonder what it's like to be that person among the rest of the free folk or among the rest of the kind of people that are like you in a place that's so harsh. You're probably really useful. We know that Varimir was a piece of shit, capital P-O-S, but (laughs) this person seems like he's, I, I don't know. We the, don't know anything about it. Yeah, but we I got mean, like literally two sentences he's about with him. The crew, though, at least this is what happens. Tormund says who he is, and then says it's a skin changer. Yeah, but he doesn't say. Oh it. no, he doesn't. So he says, um, "I can't pronounce this person's name for whatever reason. I have like a blockage in my brain about it." But he introduced him and says, "Tormund t- turned his head and spat a skin changer." John says <laughs> it was not a question. Somehow he knew, and then. Ghost kind of jumps in to the to the fray. He like Not really. walks up to the the line where they're standing. He was like behind, and he starts growling. Right at this boar that is twice the size of Ghost. John's never seen anything so huge or ugly. The man beside him was no beauty either. Hulking, black browned. He had a flat nose, heavy jowls, dark with stubble, small black coast, close set eyes. Mm. And his name's Borok, and he has a boar. So that's what we know about that guy. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, we could probably read into every little thing for hours. You should. That's the thing. That's the thing. Like In that moment, I felt like it was really, I felt it was so indicative of of, of, a, of a point or a truth or a, a something about John that we've quite not yet been resolved. And for me, like in my puny uh, mental capacities, I was like, mm, that's probably some kind of a territorial thing or real knows real, but they're not, they don't know each other. So they're not quite teaming up with each other. You know, like mm-hmm. my point about him being that kind of person among, amongst everyone north of the wall, I was thinking of how 
how comfortable he was and sort of flexing his ability and feeling so content with nature because he's so in a, he's so tied in with it and all the living things around him. And I bet that the ability to skin change is so useful north of the wall. Absolutely. I wonder how much of it is tied to being north of the wall specifically, whether it's being barred off by enchantments, although we've seen that not be, not be the case, or whether uh, there's some kind of a power fluctuation if it's not completely being limited by the wall, or if it's the circumstances like we were talking about earlier in the chapter that sort of lead people to have varying abilities within it. But it definitely seems like, and this is my favorite part of what it seems like George is building, it definitely seems like it's something to do with lineage, which I know is important. And also the way DNA works, it is something that makes sense. I just don't really know how it works. And if all of these wargs aren't kinned, it seems like they probably should be in some way. Everyone's a secret Targaryen. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I hate that. Um, but Bran's not. But of course, you know, they're that's from the Stark side. Right. So maybe this guy's a long lost Stark relative, which aren't all of them from this place. Honestly. Yeah, I don't know. And bloodlines can work in very strange and mysterious ways. Like oh, you can look they? at <laughs> I feel like like Harry Potter, obviously. Um, in what way are you thinking about that? Well, I think about like Harry Potter, like how magic is um, passed oh, yeah. down yeah. bloodline that way. Like yeah. it's kind of a little bit sporadic. Like somebody but then like Hermione. Sure, like Hermione. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So who knows if that kind of similar thing could Different happen? Different story, but yeah, maybe they have like the same, or, or the authors have a similar opinion, and maybe wargs are, it's possible for them to be sporadic sure. out, outside of it. Right. That's what I'm saying. So oh, cool. I don't know. There's just like a lot of stuff that we don't know. And we haven't really seen a lot of warging south of the wall yet Mm -hmm. but there's all this talk of you know dragon binding and what that might mean sure and how that could potentially be warging or not or those being two separate but things that are happening i'm not sure we don't really have a lot of answers but it could kind of fall into the same family well while, while we're on the subject um cotter pike's letter when he's talking and we talked about a lot about cotter pike's letter in the uh what a timely Halloween episode we right? did. I didn't I even realize this was the next in chapter. In that Bodies episode that we released last, um, Dead Things in the Water. We talked about it being uh, potentially, I was, I was, I related it to uh, the Watcher from the Lord of the Rings where um, this Kraken-like thing was sort of like an ancient plant. Uh, it's like century outside of the mines of Moria from a time long past in, yeah. in that story and how yeah. it wasn't connected to some supernatural thing even though it was everything is spawned by a supernatural thing it's still just a thing that's there what do you think about this Mm -hmm. about there being different kinds of basically different kinds of undead it seems at least per cotter pike's letter he could be upset that's an angle i haven't taken like maybe it's just it's just carnivorous like piranhas or sharks or something There's a lot, I have like two separate thoughts to tie into this. The first kind of plays off of what we've been saying last. What we know about Hardhome is not a lot, but we know that it is a place that has been the site of some sort of phenomenon that has nothing to do with what's happening there right now. But that bred, whether it's like a volcano type of situation, something happened there that bred some sort of energy or thing or something that we don't know what is either creating these types of situations or adding fuel to the fire and so you talk about like magic and skin changing i mean there's a lot of energies north of the wall Mm -hmm. of stuff that are happening based off of location Mm -hmm. and 
where they are, mm-hmm. um, which might answer that question of like skin changing beyond the wall. If that's like explicitly tied, yeah. yeah, if that has anything to do with anything, I'm not really sure. But um, Arya's wolf dreams are like a less direct way. Yeah, and then of course there's the power of resurrection, which is seemingly Makoro. There's a lot Koro's of like magical under pinnings that we don't quite understand where the source of that there is we from. Go. Yeah. Hard home is one of those places where there is very obviously like a source of something. And so then we get this letter from Cotter Pike talking about these dead things in the water. And there's been a lot of discussion about hard home's brief mention in the book in the book. Um and kind of what that could mean because it's just like this very haunting nightmarish type of passage. It seems pretty desperate. But I think that it's probably a combination of a lot of different things. And this was my question that I was going to pose to you. And so he talks about dead things in the water. That's like the kind of the thing that we tend to grasp on because it's just that's the big standout for frightening. Me. Yeah. yeah. But and my question for you is does Cotter Pike know what like a white is at this point? He's got to. You would think that dead he dead things in the woods. As somebody who's part like he he's in the know. So you would just think that he would know what that was at this point. And so I found it interesting that he instead of saying there's whites in the water, he says there's dead things in the water. Like you would think that that would be a really important distinction to make. And whether that's lost in translation in the letter that's being sent or whether um it's something other than the others that are there, mm-hmm. it's hard to say. But I think that it's very likely that there's some sort of there's multiple things happening For at sure. once kind of creating this deep chaos. And I think that he's responding to that in his curtness pretty much. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean it's a very desperate situation. But he's also Cotter Pike. And he's also in the situation that he probably didn't want to be in in the first place. Sure. <laughs> and so he's not giving as much context as he could. I don't know if there were people bursting through the door and that was the, that was the only letter he could get out, but it seems like that's not the case. It seems like this was supposed to be as clear as it needed to be. And it pretty much is. It's very it, succinct. Should we read it? Yeah, I was, I was just it. pulling it up to do that. At Hardhome with six ships, wild seas, Blackbird lost with all hands, two Lysini ships driven around... On skein, Talon taking water. Very bad here. Hmm. Wildlings eating their own dead. Dead things in the woods. Bravosi captains will only take women, children on their ships, which women call us slavers. Attempt to take Storm Crow defeated. Six crew dead, many wildlings. Eight ravens left. Dead things in the water. Hmm. Send help by land. Seas racked with by storms from Talon by hand of Maester Whatever. Harmon? Yeah. Harmony? So, <laughs> Cotter Pike had made his angry mark below. That's such a cool... Is it grievous, my lord? Asked Clytus. Grievous enough. Dead things in the wood, dead things in the water, six ships left. John rolled up the parchment, frowning. Night falls, he thought, and now my war begins. God, a little play on the on. Night's Watch I was here. But, yeah, I mean, I think that there's multiple things at play, and I just, I think it's interesting in this, like, short brevity where he's trying to put a lot of information in here mm-hmm. you would think that he would probably make the distinction between undead things but you know who knows what what's actually going on i mean he said enough and it's not too insane for them not to be able to stay in their ships it seems so, so they're not like a crazy creature enough to 
take the ships down. Right. It's probably enough for them to. What's a little boat called? When you do you know what that's called? Like the canoe that comes off the side of a typical seafaring vessel. Like the little rescue boats. Yeah. What are they called? <laughs> I can't know. Uh, for now, it's a canoe. I'm, I know that's not what they are, but <laughs> it, probably a, a canoe. You know what I mean? That that would be a. a they probably can't easily go to and fro to the ship. God, could you imagine how scary that would be? Well, you think about the image that we have of hard home in our head from the TV show. I'm taking Just, it out of my head and throwing it in the trash. Well, <laughs> it can't help help it because that's one of those more iconic, really, moments in the TV yeah, series. Yeah, for sure, for especially sure. Especially in terms of scale of what it looks like. And this letter inspired all of it, and I totally get why it did, right, honestly. Right, And so it's kind of, it's hard not to kind of take some of that into account because that was deeply troubling for sure but they did have i mean they're kind of safe in the water once they got totally uh, away safe. from land they're you 100% know? Safe. yeah so yeah. they've that's kind of maybe the situation that they're in but um why didn't they do what they did at uh, this is a dumb question <laughs> i was gonna say why didn't they do what they did at winterfell and just start running on top of their own bodies and stuff to reach them in the, in the canoe i don't know <laughs> they haven't thought of it at that point. Yeah. Maybe they're not the, at that desperation of a point. So. Yeah. I mean, he just wanted, it seemed like he was just trying to send a message for the Night King at that point. Right. In some way. But I think really it was just a gifable moment. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I mean, hey, it worked. For sure. It's one of those things that's like crazy, deeply man. entrenched. In. I remember after I watched that and uh, bef- before recording, I just went outside and walked my dog and just. Oh, like yeah. something big, like big had happened. Just thinking to myself, <laughs> like, oh, like it was really serious, but in a good, like, uh, you know, heart rate elevated seriousness sure, of, of, of liking it, but also being like, there's a responsibility on my shoulders right, right now. Wow, like I have to organize my thoughts. It's stressful, right? Fun. We'll, I mean, and we'll see what the next move is. I mean, Cotter Pike is kind of <laughs> John's about to die, so. Godspeed, brother. <laughs> yeah, they're just going to leave him if it was up to them, the people that are replacing John, or if they do, or whatever ends up happening. He's going to come back, right? I don't know. It just it seems too big of a thing to reference and then never come back to, unless this is just like a— I mean him coming back to life, sorry. He's definitely coming back to life. Oh right? yeah, that's okay. Sorry. So that's, so this it was so ridiculous that I just didn't even register <laughs> yeah, that that I was didn't a real he question. Could be that <laughs> dim, <laughs> this deep in the game. But but okay, so you think that he's definitely not going to ignore the hard home hard home call, and they're going to send people by land, not by sea. No, I don't necessarily think that. Hmm. What I was, I think that either. Well, I do. I don't know what I think, but I think that it's probably too big of something. To just ignore, but it could also just be another blip of things are really that bad out here. But I I would be shocked if this is something that doesn't come back again, or if this isn't something that is uh, explored or handled, or we get another stressed out letter with the eighth, one of the eight crows left. I feel like, and maybe this is us just like putting too much weight into it because it became such a big moment in the show. Mm-hmm. But I would be surprised if this is the last that we hear of it. Oh, I don't think it is. I think they're going to join up with Val. I think that if and when John comes back, that there's going to be resolution and uh, teaching growing moments. And then this will probably be the projectile that we end up finding ourselves marred in in the winds of winter. 
mm-hmm. we're going to go deep into winter. That winter's not coming to us yet. That we're going to go deep into it. So you think John's going to go back north of the wall of the wall again? Yeah, I do. Huh? Yeah. Maybe that's stupid. No, I don't know. Maybe. I don't have. I think so much rides on him coming back and kind of a the circumstances that he comes back in and yeah. b who he is when he returns. Because I'd like to think that he's not just going to like stand up and be. Hundo P fine. Sure. Something's going to have changed within sure. him. And so I think that's going to rearrange his priorities a little bit. And I think that I think that it might give him the resolution to just dig his heels in and go and mm-hmm. do that thing. It very well could. Or it could give him the strength, potentially, to make the decision to say, I'm free from all this. <laughs> this isn't my problem anymore. <laughs> and I'm going to go be the Lord of Winterfell. As he was thinking in his oh, dream. Oh, yikes. No way. That's not a thing. That's It's not going to go down I'm like gonna that. I'm going to go find Arya Sansa. See, see, that's the thing. I'm going to head now, to my fam. This this is where like the gooey center of the morsel is. It's like, what will he do in that right. situation? I, if I'm being honest, I think that this might be one of those opportunities that authors take. And it. I don't know if it's because I like them and I justify their decisions, but often they'll forego the path that we really want them to do. Well, they would rather, they won't do the thing that we really want them to do. John heading south and going to Winterfell, busting up Ramsey Bolton, busting up everybody in, in the Seven Kingdoms, being like, what? I'm back. Yeah. He might, it, it might be John going north of the yeah, wall Yeah, like, I am Lord of Winterfell. Being creepy, woodsy, Ghost POV chapter, scouting ahead. It might just be ghost. I don't know. But I think it, everyone's going to be like, oh, my God. And, like, that will be the George R. R. Martin approach. I'm sending John north of the wall to do this stuff. You, I mean, our last, the last time we see John at the end of the show, he's heading north mm-hmm. of the wall. Yeah. In his little buddy <laughs> show with Tormund. Yeah. So you think that's going to be an early version of that in Winds of Winter? Maybe that's what you're that's what it sounds like you're saying. Yeah, but that was like everything was done then. Right, everything was done then, but uh, but in the in the sense of John's time north of the wall yeah. isn't over and he's mm. tied to what's going on sure. out there and that's kind yeah. of like something that he cares about. No, you're right, yeah. That's the only. That's the one connection that you found to that like mm-hmm. morsel that they did yep. there. Yep. It, wouldn't that annoy you though? If he didn't go south to fight Ramsey Bolton or to fight everyone else that wanted to fight him, to fight everyone that thought the wildlings weren't the right people, to fight to fight anyone that supported his family being murdered. Of course. Especially because that's something that he's struggled with so much since joining the Night's Watch. And it's what like this if t- he annoyed us again? <laughs> what if he annoyed us will. again? He probably will. It is the winds of winter. What's scarier than going into what Tormund just warned us about? This was... By far the scariest, I mean, other than hand-to-hand contact with these guys, this is by far his description of, of coming from a guy like him with the attitude that I discussed him having that I wish John would adopt, getting serious and frank in this chapter was some of the most impactful description of the others that I've, I've read so far. Mm-hmm. Right. So what if him coming back from that situation, getting stabbed by his brothers, what if he's just like, I'm going to go do it? I'm I'm feeling that brave or, or I've already been brought back to life once. Sure. Maybe maybe that's part of it or maybe it's even not brave. It, maybe it's I want to help those people that I put in this shitty situation He's with my a little more reckless bad decision making before. Yeah. John does seem like the kind of guy who 
as deep moral ties. And so I don't necessarily see him just like abandoning everybody to the wind, but it's definitely going to be a deep internal struggle as he tries to balance all of his responsibilities sure. of who he is and where he's supposed to go. It sounds hopeless as, as hell for these people. It sounds literally every super single hopeless. every single person that could apply to every single person in the chapter. No, yeah, but I'm thinking about the Bravosi ships only right. taking the women and right. children. Right. Creep. Think of those creeps up there with no supervision. <laughs> I know. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. It's it's too dark to not. It's the, too dark to this be the only time that we get. There's a lot of people up there. There's a lot of people up there. In a very desperate situation. And I think that it gets overshadowed by the next chapter. Wildings eating their own dead. Of course it does, because it's. I mean, because if John's dead for real, then what happens to those people? They're gonna die. Yeah, for sure. Unless Tormund decides that they're, they're he's not gonna cross back. I mean, he might take a, a contingency of him up there. I don't know, but I know that we know from from this chapter as well that the way they handled themselves at night is by putting out a solid ring of fire, and that it seems to work. I don't think that it's going to be completely foolproof, Mm-mm, not because not. of what we saw on the show, but because I think that maybe the intensity of whatever this cold wind, this this cold air, how do you fight the cold? Gosh, I can't wait to find out more about how they really operate because mm-hmm. we've still so mysterious five bucks in, don't really get it yet. Don't really understand it. I don't know what it's going to materialize as, but it's probably going to be something like the White Walkers because they're so much more specific than the Whites, mm-hmm. you know? And we haven't really heard them described the way Tormund described them with yeah. this. Uh, Do you have it saved? Yeah, I have it right here. Read that shit. So Tormund is, let's see, where should we start? There's a place. Um Tormund's kind of describing, like you're saying, the fire, ring of fire that they put around their camp. And he's basically talking about how when the fires go out, you find dead in the morning. And I think one of his sons succumbed to this. And became a white. Yeah. And Tormund kind of turns, he's telling the story and kind of turns to face away. And John says, I know. Hmm. Says, Tormund turned back. You know nothing. You killed a dead man. I I heard. Man's killed a hundred. A man can fight the dead, but when their ma- masters come, when the white mists rise up, how do you fight a mist, crow? Shadows with teeth, air so cold it hurts to breathe like a knife inside your chest. You do not know. You cannot know. How can your sword cut cold? And then John thinks, we'll see, John thought, remembering the things that Sam had told him, the things he'd found in his old books. Longclaw had been forged in the fires of old Valyria, forged in dragon flame and set with spells. Dragon steel, Sam had called it, stronger than any common steel, lighter, harder, sharper. Um, but you're saying, you know, when the, when the masters come and their white mists rise up, that yeah. might be something like the White Walkers that we see on the show a little bit more. Or the Night King, I mean. In some way. That might be like a little bit more of what we saw represented there, but I this idea of mist and cold and this very intangible foe. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think of the others as beings being terrifying enough, but you think of them as vapors in the air. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. They're still they're just so mysterious that mm-hmm. it adds to it a lot too. 
not not knowing at this point and being a possibility to be so much more than a human humanoid form. Maybe they're using this mist to. I mean, obviously they're using it to serve as a kind of a perimeter around whatever the source is. It right. seems. I wonder if the source of their power moves among them. I'm trying to not think about how they conceptualized it for the show. It's hard because they're all kind of driven by this same. We talked about this again on our last episode. And I don't remember what we said about the White Walkers. Yeah, whether they're all tied to one consciousness. One, yeah, or if they're a little bit more separate than that. And mm-hmm. I think they seem they're tied to one consciousness in the show, mm-hmm. but um, we haven't had enough. Like you said, we haven't seen them enough to really understand how they operate. Right, and so. All we know is that John's got his dragon steel, which potentially might be stronger, might be a little bit more helpful. But how poetic is it that Sam's books are helping him or will help him in those moments? I, I feel think, like this is a setup for that. And it's, oh, exactly. Sam's like one of the best parts of John. Yeah. You know, that yeah. it would come back at that moment, at that time, and be helpful. It's it's really beautiful. And to be able to give him some like real advice to actually change. The world. I mean, he talks here in this chapter about nothing will be the same when they wake up the next morning. But think about like the night before we talk. We're talking about the show a lot, but like the night before the battle at Winterfell, mm-hmm. which to me was like one of the best scenes in the final season. Is just realizing that everything's going to be different now the next day because they will have fought. And I think that the obviously it's going to be a little bit less like singular than that in the book itself, but. I that kind of weight of tomorrow everything's going to be different and we have this like real issue that we have to just make a decision on and move forward with. And it's hard not to see that still as just such the main central conflict of everything that's happening in A Song of Ice and Fire. And I know that we've got like this dream at the beginning of the of the chapter where John's and we we haven't really touched on that much um where John is fighting and he's armored and he's killing all these people and he's seeing a lot of folks um, and there's wildings there and he's on top of the wall alone. We've got all of this happening and we think about him in context of how we see him in the show and like his journey south and all those kinds of things. Like John has so much ground to cover, (laughs) so much ground to cover and so much stuff to do in the next couple of books. I feel like it's kind of mind-boggling to think about where his story might lead him, whether it's to Hardhome or whether it's to Winterfell or whether it's to all of those things, to King's Landing, to Daenerys, to not, to fighting whatever battles. I mean, this guy's got a lot of ground to cover. I'm just seeing a note. John's inexperience could lead to trouble <laughs> in all mean, caps. Yeah. No kidding. Well, you look no at kidding. his like parallel. He, too, like Danny, ha- are having these parallel opportunities to learn these really hard lessons in leadership before they kind of come to the culmination of whatever they're supposed to come to, whether that is together in some sort or paralleled. I don't know, but you think it's all a love story? No, Hmm. I hope not. I don't know. I mean, maybe that, that is what everything is. I don't know. I mean, if people are involved, I don't know. There's so many different kinds of love, though. It doesn't right. necessarily have to be specifically about that. 
if nothing else, like some sort of like mutual admiration. I don't know. Well, it's just just the contentment contentment of having a good meal, yeah, and listening to good songs and but hanging there, out with people that you like, and people who've learned a lot of the same lessons, tough lessons that you have, and who've had to make a lot of tough decisions like you have. Well, I don't like that part of it. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> they like. You know, I mean, I get it, but you have to work through so much to get to that point. And, you know, I guess that is, that's how wine becomes good. It has to ferment. Right. And you have to know how to do it. Right. At least the right way. But if you let something ferment, pretty much anything, it will get you drunk, which is pretty much the point. And there's varying levels of enjoyment within that. So apply that to human experience as you will. Can I ask, as we're talking about John's eventual trajectory towards Daenerys and this dream? Mm Mm-hmm. So I think it's pretty obvious that this isn't just a stress dream before a big day. How? How's it not obvious? <laughs> it seems like a stress dream. <laughs> it does seem like a stress dream. Um, I mean, in the sense of like... desired reality. Was, yeah. <laughs> light bringer, We've top of the wall. We've been doing a lot of uh, research on desired reality yes. projecting. Um I mean, in the sense of like, he's been, he's giving these dreams for a reason, from Bran or Blood Raven, or there's some sort of we know that there's some sort that was of That's a big thing you just said. That's what you think for sure. He's being fed this dream. It's not just a not dream. Not quite. This is what I'm trying oh, to say. Sorry to interrupt. Go on. <laughs> that there's some sort of manipulation on that point, whether it's through his dreams or through this crow that's finally saying his name for the full God, how creepy. for the first time. John Snow. Yes. John Snow. <laughs> it's different when it's just your first name, but it's like when your mom's got, yelling at you. Too much shit going on today for you to say my whole name. Yeah. We're gonna come back to this. Right. It's like when you're in trouble and your mom says your name oh, yeah. in a different way yeah. than she normally does. It had that same kind of energy. I mean, I to me, I think that there's some sort of manipulation there. Whether it's what the motive is behind that, I haven't quite decided that for myself. Uh-huh. But I do think that these things are a little bit too on the. John was armored in a black in black ice, but his blade was burned red in his fist. I mean, it's a little Hell too yeah. like on the nose to just be Hell yeah. a random dream slash desired reality. I mean, maybe it is. <laughs> that is what it is, but. You know what I mean? I mean, do you f- do you feel differently about what that it's too specific to be a, a dream? Do you f- do you think that Bran and or Bloodraven is manipulating whatever's happening either in this situation or across the board when it comes to John? Oh boy, I don't I don't know. I didn't think that when I read it, but now that you say that, it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like he was definitely woke up. By a design, whether by the bird or whether inside of the dream. I'm confused by the hand that grabbed him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who do you think the hand was? There's If it wasn't Blood Raven grabbing him and waking him up or Bran waking him up, right. who do you think it was going to be? Because he was dealing with characters from his past, and I felt like that they were all sequential. Even and Rob. Had, exactly. I was kind of surprised that he showed up with, there. With wet hair. His his. Go on, say what you're going to say about Rob with wet hair. Go on. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. I anticipated it. Okay. <laughs> He's got ice melting in his hair, right? I love him. And then Corrin half hands bleeding from the neck. Mm-hmm. Who's it going to be? Like, what if it was like Arya or something? Oh, seizing him around the shoulder. Yeah, that would have been dark. Wait a second. What if? What if there's two different forces at play, twisting fate? I don't know. And the bird interrupted a one message. Like, what if? What if it's the others? Drilling this into his brain. No. Who else could it be? Glass candles? No. 
Are you saying, though, that there is some manipulation? Let's just say so, yeah. Because yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it seemed like the it could be a dream. There was just, mist. Just a dream. Oh, and by I called my friends. There was mist in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I am the Lord of Winterfell. John screamed. That's my favorite part. Jeez, I forgot about that. Can you read the dream? Actually, I have it right here. <laughs> you should read it. Yeah. I've been reading a lot. That night, he dreamt of wildlings howling from the woods, advancing to the moon of. Jesus. Advancing to the moan of worn horns and the roll of drums. Boom, doom, boom, doom, boom, doom came the sound. A thousand hearts with a single beat. Creepy. Some had spears and some had bows and some had axes. Others rode on chariots made of bones drawn by teams of dogs as big as ponies. Giants lumbered amongst them, 40 feet tall, with mauls the size of oak trees. Burning shafts hissed upward, trailing tongues of fire. Scarecrow brothers tumbled down, black cloaks ablaze. Snow and eagle cried, as foemen scuttled up the ice like spiders. John was armored in black ice, but his blade burned red in his fist. As the dead men reached the top of the wall, he sent them down to die again. He, sl- he slew a gray beard and a beardless boy, a giant, a gaunt man with filed teeth, a girl with thick red hair. Too late, he recognized Egret. Egret. She was gone as quick as she appeared. The world dissolved into a red mist. John stabbed and slashed and cut. Exactly. He hacked down Donald Noy and gutted Deaf Dick Follard. Corrin Halfhand stumbled to his knees, trying in vain to staunch the flow of blood from his neck. I am the Lord of Winterfell, (laughs) John screamed. It was Rob before him now. Ooh. Rob's like, but I am. Melting before him, his hair wet with melting snow. Longclaw took his head off. Then a gnarled hand seized John roughly by the shoulder. He whirled. A gnarled hand. So maybe it's a hand from a tree. Mm-hmm. And woke with a raven pecking at his chest. I was reading somewhere, this is theory is not my own, but that that is Blood Raven, and he, he was not supposed to see something. Or there was something that he was like pulling him from purposely so he didn't get too much information on mm. whatever XYZ, which I thought was kind of interesting that he wanted him to see some stuff, but he didn't want him to kind of get the full picture. But... It's kind of hard. It's interesting you reading that back after we've had this whole discussion today because it's it's kind of hard for me to kind of interpret. <laughs> I'm not that smart. Like it's it's hard to interpret specifically what all these different things mean when you think about all the people in his life coming sure. back and being killed. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a dream interpreter, so I don't know what that potentially means in our world, you know? Mm-hmm. But to me, him having this dream the night before of this really big thing makes sense because we've all been there. Um, it's, it's like he's having to prove himself. It's not like he wants to chop Rob's head off. No, but it's like he's being put at the precipice of these really big decisions that he doesn't want to make. And he wants to prove himself. Like, I am capable mm-hmm. of doing this. I am the Lord of Winterfell. Also, it needs to be mentioned that these are at, these are whites. They're undead. They've come back. And so why wouldn't you want to take take his head off? Right. And I think the red mist is an interesting thing that I didn't catch up. I didn't catch on the first time I read through today. The world dissolved into a red mist. So I can't help but maybe it's he he kills Egret and her hair Aww. explodes around her. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that like envelops him that yeah. that sort of consequence of taking something so good away from him from himself or that leaving him or something like that. That's like a nice little visual transition. It is. That is really cool. I was thinking of it more a little bit 
just because we've been talking so much and thinking so much about Melisandre's role. We talked about this a lot in the last episode, Melisandre's role in bringing John back to life. So it's like anytime there's something red with John, sure. it's like, er, is that anything? Probably nothing, but it's a... Uh, I'm the Lord of Winterfell. What a! It's like you definitely don't want anyone getting in your. Don't read your journal. Like don't read my journal. I know, right? <laughs> you know, I don't want him. No one only want to know I said that to to Rob. He just. This is just such like a. He's got long claw. In the other the other instance, he has a. Um, it's like a flaming sword, like Lightbringer. What were we gonna say? He's just so deeply the main character, whether it's in his own head or <laughs> whether it's Bran so or Blood like Raven. A different version of Vic, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeez. So it's interesting. I, th- I kind of think that this chapter is one of those chapters that we'll revisit. For sure. In 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Oh, after Don't we, put that juju upon me, Ricky Bobby. After we get the end of, end of the story and we look back and read this chapter, kind of like we have been looking back, reading everything from the perspective of John's death. It's like, we'll see this chapter and the wild things coming through the wall and all these names that Tormund is mentioning that we don't really know uh-huh, that much about. Uh-huh. And all this dream, this dream and hard home. It feels like there's a lot of stuff that we just truly... We we are sweet summer children. We know that it's going to be important, or we can assume that stuff like this is going to be important. We just have very little information to kind of tease that out. King and Snow, John Snow, John Snow. That was queer. The bird had never said his full name before, as best John could recall. Yeah, it says King. What do you think? What do you make of that? Right before he's got this big day, you know. Yeah, that's weird. But we have, you know, his. Uh, Eternal monologue throughout the chapter, and it, it, he's not full of himself. No, he just wants to be. And I feel like I was a little hard of him at him at the beginning of the chapter. You so were. if you've stuck around this long, please don't send us any angry emails talking about. Well, send up whatever you want, and I, I am dumb for what it's worth. But um, <laughs> to be a little bit fair, he he wasn't self obsessed in a way. He he was doing dumb things, I think. But they they're it's hard to be as as cool and smart as John is in the first place. It's hard to be as cool and as cool as comfortable spent, as Tormund and the Wildlings are. You said forty five minutes exaggeration talking it was about 29. how, how <laughs> John was dorky. Well he is dorky, honestly. <laughs> and now you're saying he's cool and calm. Well but I'm saying in comparison, you know, I think that he is in comparison to the guys of the Castle Black. That's I, why he's the Lord Commander. Exactly. Of those guys, though. Yeah. You know, a place right. where people don't play snowball. God, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> don't have snowball fights. You know what I mean? That's Do you know what funny. I'm saying? Like, that's what the, that he's the king of those guys right now. Yeah. And that's not, I mean, in some places, that might be awesome. If you lived in Molestown, you'd be really impressed with John. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. But these people coming to the wall are the real deal, man. You know, and among them, beside them, like I said, he just kind of looks like a dork. Yeah, but he's got Tormund as his bro, so that gives him credibility in some right, sense. Right, sure, but he's also, and this is what I was saying to defend him, he's not self-impressed by that. And he's not impressed, right. and, I, and I'm not either, and I hope that other people aren't either, but, you know, do what you want. But I think the, the fact that he wasn't, um, he didn't do, he didn't, ride that horse and get the guard and wish that whenever Tormund said, I want them to see you how I see you and not be afraid of you. 
when he said, well, that's the opposite of what I want to happen. Mm-hmm. I want them to be afraid of me. It's not because he wanted them to be afraid of him in the same way that someone like Vermeer would want someone to be afraid of him. You know? He wanted them to be afraid of him so this would go smoothly. So that they would respect him. But it wasn't even about that. It's not It's not that they respect him because he thinks he should be respected. No, they respect him and not respect the the process enough. But again, I don't even think it was about the process uh, for the sake of it. I think that he wanted them to fear him so it would go, so no one would be hurt. I think he wanted everything to go okay. And I don't think that he's embarrassing because he does stuff that got him killed. I mean, that's a, a flaw that anyone could uh, anyone could have. That's a situation anyone could find themselves in. And a lot of people probably would mess up before they even got there. Yeah. But I'm saying that he did mess it up. Yeah. And I have the book to read. And so I can tell him what he did wrong, especially having all, all these opportunities to reread. I'm laughing a little bit because. <laughs> Go on, pull it up. <laughs> we started off this episode with you having some deep thoughts about John's vibe. And then we didn't talk about his vibe at all for the episode mm-hmm. yet in the back of your mind it was still a, a Bruin and now we come to the end and why is it's that like, funny because it's just so poetic <laughs> now we're back to how you feel about John <laughs> now you've had an hour to think about it <laughs> John needed to look impressive you know that was my note no he said that I think he was uncomfortable with the fact that he had those guys around him but he felt like it was necessary it was a smart decision he had leathers yeah. among them you know these are all strategic decisions this chapter is full of stuff that we didn't talk about because there's it's all of it is very symmetrical and like um, for example Melisandre appearing out and watching this all happen all the justifications of how these free folk deserve the kind of credit that I've been giving them that Tormund dishes out this that's eighty percent of the chapter too much to get into because they're all good and uh, it's impossible to remember and we're not reading from a script but you should read this chapter it's very poetic if you've already read it you probably obviously you've read it since you're listening to this podcast but if you just listen and you don't reread this one's good to reread because i really do think that your point anna about this being something that we go back to is is very true and i think that uh this is setting up a lot of what we're going to see play out in six and seven mm-hmm. in a big way i think this is this seems like a jumping off point like almost yeah. a new beginning for lack of a better word it's a very easy term, phrase this chapter goes down smooth too i will say that and that is not true for every chapter in a songwise and fire <laughs> really oh yeah i struggle through a <laughs> lot of this them. book series i struggle through a lot of them so when, when i that's so funny because when i think about chapters that might be unnecessary I think the, there's a lot of sort of crowded up John chapters at Castle Black. And uh, I remember my first read through that this didn't really stick out to me. Well, of course not. Because I think it's, like I said, I think maybe. Um, I was like, okay, lots of these people. I think that when you think more deep, deeply about what the potential is to come, mm-hmm. it makes this chapter much more impressive than just a roll call, like I said. I just don't think he gets it. Like he, he has one sacrifice to throw onto the pile of all the other sacrifices that he's making for this to happen in the first place, to just let your guard down a little bit and just chill out and let fate decide a little bit and not try to bolster up as much as you can for the kind of thing that 
is an idea. It's like a style, stylistic flourish rather than an actual need. It's not like he's taking away a logistical thing to safeguard everyone. He's letting them through. But just maybe drop the pretense a little bit Loosen on the style. A little bit. Not even that. I mean, that seems that's kind of a simple way to put it, I think. I, I think just just don't do that extra thing that's unnecessary. What did he do that was actually? He that's rode a horse that wasn't his. There's one. Yeah, but so did Tormund. No, Tormund rode a little Garen was, okay, Tor- that was right. too small for him. Okay. And he didn't need to show off. The he, horse he showed thing. up in basketball shorts, you know? Sure. And and John <laughs> and John showed up fully dressed and he Tormund had, had would ghost never growling. show up anywhere wearing basketball shorts. Yeah, Let's he would. get that. He's, first, he's always yeah. <laughs> ready to hoop. Basketball <laughs> shorts are a very specific energy. You know what I'm saying though. Um yeah, but Tormund call like Tormund's doing the same exact thing. He's got his people around him too. But he it's like we I was saying earlier, he kind of rails on John for whatever reason. Mm. John's has to do this. He's like doing his best. He's a kid. And he's like, I need to like play the part. That's the that that's how he gets killed. Trying to play the part? Yeah, that's why he gets killed. He gets killed because he's thinking too much about what he thinks he should do and he's not just doing what he what is true to him. I don't think that's true. I think he's doing what's true to him. That wasn't true to him, though. Needing, I mean, maybe. The big horse? Maybe you're right. And maybe, yeah. And maybe not knowing anything is what's true to him now. I don't know. I think that he, maybe it is dorky. I think you're being too hard on him. I mean, he did what no one else would do, like I said. Yeah, he's making a tough call here. He just had a really bad dream, and he has no friends. (laughs) Yeah, even Ed's a little... Even that, cold. that's something we didn't really touch on. That kind of made me feel a little sad. For sure. it was kind of this almost awkward moment. I, I was ready to copy and paste an own from Ed. And there, oh, really? There was none. You oh, know? oh I, yeah, It yeah, usually yeah. happens. Yeah, it right, right, happens. right. It was kind of awkward. It made me feel bad for him. And kind of, to me, that would bolster your point more than anything else, that he lost a relationship like that. I didn't really think that he lost it. I just thought that even in the situation, the way that I took it was that even in the even Ed in this situation, that what they're doing is so foreign to what normally happens here, and that his idea is so is so new, and that his perspective is so rare that even Ed has ambiguous feelings about it. Not even ambiguous; they were downright negative, mm-hmm. you know. And as as nice as Ed tried to be about it, he was like, "Don't let them take all our chickens." <laughs> Right. I really like a a runny yolk, and I do too. And I wouldn't want anyone to take all my chickens either. Right. But it is what it is, you know. And even even Ed in the situation was like, I don't know. I kind of want to be a little selfish, and that's one of the reasons why John is so great because he doesn't have that point of view. He's like he's not thinking about himself, and that's what they need. Not just in a leader, but that's what people need to be like in a situation like this. But all the time, really, Mm -hmm. you're still going to be able to get your eggs. There's plenty of eggs to go around. And if there isn't, would you rather have it over someone else? Right. Wouldn't you rather everybody else got one too? Right. Yeah. Like, where's the enjoyment in that? Right. Is it about you? Is it about sitting there and enjoying your runny egg? I don't think so. I think that it's just the... So there was a... He... Torment's like, I want them to see you as they come through because most of these guys have grown up from the time they were little kids thinking that the 
nice watch is going to come, whatever, do something to you. I can't remember eat exactly. You. Yeah. They will eat you. Yeah. They're going to eat you. Some of y'all, no, that's a, that's a rumor. Never mind. Right. But, you know, you just like grow up with these deeply rooted prejudices. And these guys have been f- literally fighting and they've killed each other and they've killed their friends and their family members in front of each other for centuries. And now they're being asked to, to lay that down, even if that is the right decision. There's going to be that hesitation there just because people are people and people are scared of things that are different to them. And I think that that's why it's okay that everyone, including Jono, has little flicks in their personality that maybe doesn't check out. The important thing is that it happens and we'll go from there. Your tone made it sound like you wanted to go to owns. <laughs> yep. Go for it. Well, my own. Uh, I guess it sort of relates. I want to give my own to when the gate gets opened. This little paragraph here. He's kind of looking around. He's looking at the stars. We talked about this. This is not my own, but he's like, when they next reappear, they would be shining down upon a world forever changed. He sees embers from Melisandre's night fire. Everything is going to change now, isn't it? He's kind of looking around and he goes, it was time. Open the gate, Jon Snow said softly. Open the gate, big little roared. His voice was thunder. 700 feet above, the sentries heard and raised their war horns to to their lips. The sound rang out, echoing off the wall and across the world. One long blast. For a thousand years or more, that sound had meant rangers coming home. Today it meant something else. Today it called the free folk to their new homes. And I thought that was very sweet and poetic. It's good. And just like a changing of the guard. And I know that might be like a cheesy sentiment a little bit, but I enjoyed it. So, own to that. I like cheesy sentiments. Me too. They're nice. Something I would write in my journal. Something just like that. Really? Oh, for sure. (laughs) Wow. You hate to see it. Now let's talk about your own. (laughs) Well, it's less poetic. My first own goes to the person that was naked. (laughs) (laughs) No, the person, uh, it was so funny. George went there. There, Tormund and John were standing there on their horses, and uh, people were going through the wall, and it it was describing their varying levels of of dress relating to their ability to secure varying levels of dress, but also relating to their individual hardness. People like the Hornfoots, for example, that rock barefoot. Mm-hmm. And some people that wear bare claws, you know, we're all different. It's fine. But there was someone that was just straight up naked. And I think <laughs> I've been, I've been really resisting. Yeah. The cold weather that's been coming in. Right. And I've been annoyingly wearing much less clothes than I probably should. Like wearing a t-shirt when I walk my dog outside, for example, and it's right. frigid just for a little bit because I, one, don't want to don't want it to happen. I want to kind of lie to myself in a way. And also the least amount of time wearing all those winter clothes, the better for me. Mm-hmm. So also I feel like there's, a, anyway, that is completely irrelevant. This person has me beat, has me completely destroyed. <laughs> Coming, it's so cold. Coming from north of the wall and surrounded by thousands of people, too. Talk yeah. about what a power move, honestly. It is powerful. Just naked. 
I totally miss. I totally miss that. To be honest with you, someone is straight up naked. <laughs> I miss that. Imagine I'm glad you that. It out. Straight up naked, not bare. Like all oh, those people who barefoot in snow. That's crazy enough. You're gonna lose your feet. You're nuts. You're right. crazy. That is wild. Naked. <laughs> they lose a bet. Didn't seem like it. They were like uh, name. Uh, you know. That's just his vibe. Do you think that they made him wear clothes when they came south of the wall? No. That's surely. Yeah, they're not walking around Castle Black naked. Why not? Because. They're not men of the Night's Watch, and it's all temporary. John doesn't have time to care about that kind of thing. Right, but there's other people. John wouldn't, but he's got other people that make decisions and probably Someone's try to gonna flex like, their power. Someone's going to tattle on him a little bit. But like, they're going to say to him, get clothes on. I don't think so. Wear something. Okay. Not to have a guy like that. Honestly, stay away from that guy yeah. <laughs> or become his best friend. You choose. The decision that you choose matters. It will reverberate throughout history. And um, second own, uh, one of the girls turned red. The other glared defiantly. You leave us alone, Tormund giant stink. I really think that she just said Tormund giant shit there, but mm-hmm. that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. You let us go. Har, you win, crow. Not a cock between them. The little one's got her set of balls, though. A spear wife in the making her, he called his own men. Go find them something girly to put on before Lord Snow wets his small clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I liked that moment a lot. So defiant. But I just think his his candor in that is part of the reason why it's all working out for them in a way that they're getting away from those others. Right. So it's a tough thing, and you got to have a little bit of levity when you're dealing with people dying on the edge of your camp all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's hard. It would be very hard to keep morale. Also, uh, their unicorns are real because among the riches that were bestowed upon them. Let me read this. As they passed, each warrior stripped off his treasures and tossed them into one of the carts that the steward had placed before the gate. Amber pendants, golden torques, jeweled daggers, silver brooches set with gemstones, bracelets, rings, and yellow cups, and golden goblets, war horns, and drinking horns, a green jade comb, a necklace of freshwater pearls, all yielded up and noted by Bowen Marsh. One man surrendered a shirt of silver scales that had surely been made for some great lord. Another produced a broken sword with three sapphires in the hilt. And there were queerer things, a toy mammoth made of actual mammoth hair. I don't know why that's so queer, but I guess, okay. An ivory phallus, which, you know, they needed to use for things. A helm made of a unicorn's head, complete with horn. How much food would such things buy in the free series? cities, Jon Snow cannot begin to say. Unicorns are real, and people use them as armor. Just kind of slipped in there. Yeah, that's awesome. That is awesome. Um, and the huge dogs, I'm just scrolling through my notes. I liked a lot of this. The huge dogs rule from the frozen shore. Also, the uh, we didn't talk about this at all, but uh, and it's something we talk about just throughout the course of the show because this has been canon for a long time. The situation with the Horn of Jorman. Oh my gosh, we didn't talk about that at all. Yeah. yeah. Would that I, if I had the Horn of Jorman, I'd give it a nice toot and we'd climb through the rubble. <laughs> God. I completely forgot about that. Basically, what happens if uh, you don't remember, there is they have a conversation about the horn, and Tormund basically is like, yeah, Mance was just bluffing. Mm -hmm. We had the horn, we would have blown it. We've been desperate for a long time. Remember when we fought you? Mm -hmm. We were trying all that crazy stuff? That was a bluff. We don't know where it is. Maybe it's real, maybe it's not hard. And John's like, where is that horn? Strange. And then we get a transition to the east. Little do we know. Now, the horn, just real quick. You think that it's big or small? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say 
I mean, I guess it kind of depends on if you believe, for example, if you believe that the one that's in Sam's possession is the horn, then maybe you would describe it in it's that way. Vote. It's got my vote. You know, yeah. and I can't remember other than it being kind of plain what the how big or small it is. They found it near shit, so I feel like that's that's got to be it. Humble yeah. beginnings, yeah, grand ends. So that's it. The good chapter. It was a really good, really chapter. good chapter. I had a lot of fun. Me too. If you want to send in your thoughts, your owns, things you noticed, you can do that in a couple different ways. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram by searching Game of Owns, or you can send us an email to contact at gameofowns.com. Patreon.com slash goo. I think it's reread of iceandfire.com if you want to go right there for my solo podcast about this starting from the beginning. Uh, maybe I should have you on that sometime, Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> on the solo podcast. Heck no. <laughs> you wanted to do a podcast without me. I get it. Next up, if you want to follow along with us in our reading order on afeastwithdragons.com, we have a lot of great website names. Um, <laughs> afeastwithdragons.com. We are next time going to be reading chapter 106, The Discarded Knight. So we're back to more... Um, Barry. Chapters that don't have character names in the front. That's what I was thinking. But yeah. yes, exactly. So, what do you think they're going to be like in wins? The cold evening. We get a little bit of a mixture in both of these books. So probably a little bit of mm. both. Yeah. That's a cop-out answer. But check out chapter 106, The Discarded mm. Knight in A Dance of Dragons for our next episode. So many unanswered questions. I think we're going to put these questions somewhere. On our social media, on Patreon, whatever. I have so many of these things we just didn't get to. It would be cool to have the feedback of people that listen. So if you made it this far, your feedback can help give us a point of view slash other people that will see that. Like I'm wondering what it would be like if the skin changers would, instead of hating each other automatically, like would they want to stick together? If they bound, to, bound together? Yeah. Learn from each other. There's so it's much alike. They hated each other. It was they hated well, each yeah, you're other. right. They're just sizing each other up. Did you like see they, Ghost? Yeah, Ghost is is John. Ghost does what John was thinking. He was like, "Fuck that guy. Fuck that boar." You're right, <laughs> man. You know, John really disappointed me at the top when he like. We're <laughs> <laughs> back to this. When he called, when he called, when he called Ghost up, he was like, "Not intimidating, Ghost. Come here." You wouldn't do the same thing. Only to be funny, not to be serious. No way. Maybe not. I do don't you know, know anyone that would do that? To me, it was like if you're going through a stressful situation, you need your he's your only guy in this whole thing. Tormund's on a horse half his size. <laughs> it's <laughs> we, like to, I'm supposed to be it. funny. <laughs> you think John is dumb in this chapter? Aye, Any more aye, thoughts aye, on aye. that topic before we wrap up? More on the next podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Baja Blast for life. Just in case you're wondering, Sweet Lining 